Welcome to another episode of BNB, Beer and Data Breaches, where we cover the five most interesting data breaches from this last week and one of our favorite beers. This is a special episode where not only are we covering beer, but we're saying goodbye to one of our cast members, Nikki. So goodbye, Nikki. Bye, Nikki. Bye, Nikki. Bye, Nikki. So uh, uh, before we begin, let's introduce our new moderator and marketing manager, Divya. Hi. Hey. Hi, Divya. Welcome. Welcome to Hack Notice. Thank you. Uh, Nikki, what do you have for us this week? Well, let's get started with the story, shall we? Topic number one we'll be covering today comes from News Channel 8 Florida. Headline reads, Florida's unemployment site hacked 57,000 accounts involved in data breach. First of all, I can't believe that Florida's unemployment site was hacked and only 57,000 accounts were banned. Uh, well, yeah, all the men and women are busy and not online. So uh, what do you guys think about the story? I gotta agree with Mike. I mean, fifty-seven thousand seems uh, a little low. Yeah, yeah. There were probably more. Um, the the thing that 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 uh, popped out at me was that this is the second time in like a year that they've had some sort of data breach. Like, what's up with that? Specifically, the Florida Unemployment Office, right? Because Florida's had way more data breaches than this year. <laughs> Like the state of Florida has had plenty of data breaches this year. Well, maybe they are trying to make a point. And what's that point? That they can be easily breached. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Fair point. That would make sense. I like that. Yeah. And they were they succeeded in making that point. Good job, Florida. <laughs> Definitely, they succeeded. See that the uh, the office actually offered a year's worth of identity theft protection for all the, uh, the people that were affected. And uh, they actually contacted the three credit bureaus to let them know that 57,000-ish uh, of, uh, of their people uh, need to check their credit reports. So, I mean, not to be callous, but I don't think the credit score of uh, 57,000 unemployed, unemployed Floridians <laughs> is the number one concern here. I, I mean, the credit score can only go down so far. I think uh, 57,000 seems pretty low for this. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a bullshit number. This is yeah. the type of thing, we see it all the time where someone files a data breach and they're like, oh, we know for a fact that 57,000 records were exposed, but we kind of know that like, 30 million records were exposed and we'll just silently update it later. We're just going to round down for, for right now. Yeah. That's, that's like the server that originated the attack or something is 57,000. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, everything else is wishy-washy. A lot of people getting turned down for wave runners. You, you know, uh, 57,000, I bet someone in the Florida unemployment office is like, what sounds like a big number, but isn't really a big number? 57,000, let's say that. And then later we'll, we'll have the real number. They also uh, mentioned that back in May, 2020, uh, there was a, a hundred 
unemployment applicants that their data was compromised. So this was this probably from the, the same one, but the number just yeah. Oh, I wonder, do you think this included Trump? Because technically he's an unemployed Floridian. That's sure. Hot take. Let's get a social. <laughs> I mean, he could have been one of the 57,000. I know. The uh, chances uh, are greater than zero. The number of applicants between 801 and 803 on a Tuesday in Florida. <laughs> All right. Any final uh, statements about the state of Florida? I mean, like, it's got to suck to be unemployed in Florida, but then to have your data stolen as well, that just totally sucks. Well, the silver lining is that once you are down, you cannot go any more down. So, yeah. I mean, are they even concerned about that? <laughs> what What could a hacker do with that? Like nothing. You can't get a loan because there's no payday. Of course. <laughs> you can't get a car. What are they going to steal? I mean, you're yeah. pretty safe at that point. Maybe they'll use it for recruiting into the new re-evil. <laughs> number two. <laughs> I like that. Idea. So moving on to topic number two, we are looking from the Associated Press. The headline reads, holy moly, inside Texas's fight against a ransomware hack. Um, so the city of Orger, uh, Texas Panhandle City, was taken down by a ransomware event. And, uh, you know, the whole entire city was basically brought to its knees by a ransomware group. What are your thoughts on the story? Which group? Uh, I believe it was actually... I think it was Re-Evil. No, they rebranded to Dark... No, Black Matter? Black Matter. Well, this, is, this is two years ago. I swear, I, I read the article. I think I'm pretty sure it was Re-Evil. You didn't read the article. I skimmed through it. There's bourbon data breaches where the articles are not read and the stories are made up. The culprits were aff affiliated with Revil. Oh. Oh. The Evil. Oh, uh, I read the story. Who was right? The Revil syndication and affiliate program. When in doubt, Revil. Uh, dark Black Matter. Black Matter now. Black Matter now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the, there are a couple of details that were shared. Uh, workers were frozen out of files. Printers spewed out demands for money. I think that's kind of a cool tactic where they go with the printers and have them print out, like, you know, pay us or we're going to waste all your ink and paper. <laughs> you know, this is like, this is exactly what, what happens in a movie situation when there's a ransomware uh, attack and people are being held for money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Printed with like all black background with white lettering to waste extra ink. That's what I would do. Where were you on July 16th? <laughs> Not in the panhandle. I love the panhandle. I love the Texas panhandle. Do you? I totally, yeah, I would totally move the Texas panhandle. I think it's time for a beer break. Woo! Beer break. That sounds good. So, did we actually cover that last story? I don't remember what the point was. Uh, I can cover beer if you want. Yeah. Because I know about it. it. <laughs> so, I can tell you. Get it. So we let me give some background, and I'm going to hand you the laptop, and you can tell us what you're tasting in a beer. Yeah. How does that sound? Sounds good. Where is all yeah. your stuff? Thinking right there. What, what What did you do? What happened? Where's the thing? 
Which one? Carta. Oh, there it is. Oh, okay. What do you have to So today, special episode, we are doing Carbock Love Street, which is a blonde ale. Uh, Carbock is a brewery uh, famously from Houston, Texas, which uh, also Divya uh, joins <laughs> us from Houston, Texas. Uh, Carbock has a number of beers that are pretty well distributed. Love Street, I think one of their, their most popular, but uh, Hopadillo IPA, certainly that's in a lot of places. And then they have even branched out into hard seltzer with their ranch water. I've actually had the Hopadillo IPA. Hopadillo yeah. Yeah. is pretty good, yeah. So we are looking at uh, 16 IBU and a 4.9% ABV. Uh, we have uh, two row and wheat, so you should have some of that nice wheat sweetness in it. Uh, variety of hops here. You know, we've got a review from Total Wine saying that this is a clean, multi-profile, doesn't seem like it's overly hoppy, some floral German hops. And I've seen a lot of people call this uh, a session beer. So I'm going to hand this over to Divya to tell us what she thinks of the beer. Okay, so definitely all those descriptive words for Carbock are true. It's a very light beer with four point, coming in at 4.9% ABV, but very low for alcohol. I think it's pretty much the same as a Bud Light, maybe 0.4% more. That's correct. Um, also, uh, the Kolsch style, because it's a Kolsch, so it's going to be lighter, and you can have this during the daytime. Uh, whenever you're going out golfing, uh, Love Street is a very popular beer. And I believe it's also named after a hot spot of music, it says. So like that was like based on Allen Landing, that Love Street, that's what it says. And uh, super light, super refreshing, very crisp, malty, Pilsner-ish kind of flavor profiles, uh, kind of bordering down to like a lager style, but um, definitely um, very refreshing hops. It rejuvenates your day and uh, a perfect, perfect day, a perfect beer to have during the daytime and uh, just kind of like have a couple of beers with your friends. This would be the perfect one because of the flavor profile, the shares. So yeah, also very light on the nose. So there's that. Great. Very accurate. Definitely I'm sold on that beer. <laughs> um, well, let me hand this back over to Nikki and make sure you share your screen, Nikki, for story number three. All right. Uh, so moving on to topic number three, we're actually keeping it in Texas for now. This story comes from the Texan. Headline reads, Judson ISD pays unspecified ransom to hackers after a month of system lockdown. Um, if you had to guess how much a school district can pay for such thing, how much would you guess? Because they didn't. It's going to be a million dollars. At least a million. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. two, mil two million. Yeah. Well, one of those uh, one of those articles threw around a bunch of stats, like the state of Texas uh, school districts, two million. Um, let's see, cities, two point three million. Counties, three point two million. This stuff adds up. Um, I think Reevil asked for like 2.3 million from one town. They're not going to get 2.3 million from one town. Um, but what they're going to do is get 
you know, 50K, 100K here and there, and it's going to add up for them. Well, if they had their whole operation locked down for a month, yeah, I'm guessing they are they are going to be willing to pay yeah. well above 1 million. I mean, pretty much whatever they ask, as long as it is a payable number. Yeah, the uh, concern is the number of laptops and desktops they have and the cost of being shut down for that long. Um, if you aren't able to actually provide education to students, you don't get federal funding. So they could be losing more than the total ransomware amount if they choose not to pay. This was a big issue during COVID where uh, federal funding was tied to in-person attendance. And so school districts were not getting any federal funding because kids were not going in person. Um, so I know that was a big problem in Austin. So, you know, if, if you have your entire network shut down and you can't properly educate, uh, it could cost you quite a bit. Yeah, um, kudos. I, I don't believe boards are paid. The city of boards are paid. Um, it looks like <clears throat> what happens is that they restored from backups, and it's uh, um, it says that a lot of cities, the best defense against this um, are backups, proper backups. Um, but let's be real here. Even if you all make backups, let's go through an exercise. Do, do a lot of companies actually go through the exercise where we have to restore everything from a backup. What happens? How long are you down for? So um, that comes into decision on whether or not you do pay a ransomware or not. Yeah, we, we, I keep extensive backups, but uh, I don't think that everyone at the company does the same. And so I've had to restore from backup before because I've had laptops stolen and, and that sort of thing. Um, but it's, it's a pain, even if you have good backups, right? Um, even just one, one device, if you're restoring 20,000 devices, uh, it's, it's not fun. Yep. All right. Final thoughts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Moving on to story number four. Hackers use discord for spreading malware. 14,000 malware URLs reported. Crushed it. You use Discord, right? I do. I do. How do you feel about this? She That's uses great. Discord. I quit Discord before we started this recording, okay? Did you click on any malware before you started this recording? <laughs> no, I always click on malware. I like to live life on the edge. Uh, is this because there's a large youth population on Discord? I, mean, I, I think, think it's there's a, a large, there's a large population on Discord. Yeah, yeah. The Discord is is just a is just a method. It's like texting, faxing, emails, whatever. Discord. It, I think this article just threw Discord in there to get clicks, but um, there's I nothing in. I know Gary and other people were just opening Discords to talk about, uh, like, to talk in small to medium-sized groups yeah. with folks about certain kinds of investment, and so it, it seemed like a ripe target. Well, everyone's moving to Slack, except for Slack is incredibly insecure, or rather, to be fair, Slack's never proven how secure they are, and Discord you can run securely from your own server, and it's free, right? Mm -hmm. So 
I've considered moving us to Discord off Slack. Um, I find Slack right now to be uh, useful enough to keep using, but the first major security incident that Slack has, I think Discord is very much where I and a lot of other people would, would switch to. I think traditionally the target audience of Slack was very different from Discord. Um, Discord, even still, I, Slack is made of ground for this, but I think Discord was, uh, was always open to everyone, uh, including channel and business partners. So that's where Slack lacked. Um, we've tried to make up ground for that. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, it's uh, most Discord servers in community, it's a community. Most channels and servers are community. So it's no different from posting a link to malware on, uh, on, a, on forum spam or anything like that. Yeah, I think the, the malware didn't change and the method didn't change. All they did is they started using Discord rather than email, right? And <clears throat> I, I guess the thought is that Discord should have protections against this. But Discord's purely a technology, and I don't think that a lot of technologies have anti-malware built in. Um, I remember back when Discord was mainly for voice, right? Like a team chat, like actually voice communication, and then it sort of evolved into text. Um, I just think, you know, we are all joining a bunch of different uh, channels and a bunch of different Discord servers, and uh, we should consider every one of those suspect, right? Uh, no matter where the link is, you shouldn't just be clicking on it. Does 14 sound like a lot, or does that sound routine? The way that the headline kind of 14,000 what? Uh, risky URLs. No, that, that sounds, I mean, like 14,000 unique risky URLs, sure. Like that's, that's a lot of unique. Mm -hmm. But like malware can auto-generate URLs super easy. Yeah. So that's, that, yeah, I don't think that's hard. Yeah, I, I think the article insinuated that Slack took a long time actually removing those URLs from the servers, or not Slack, I'm sorry, Discord. A uh, question I have is, does Slack do the same thing? Um, mm -hmm. But it all goes down, back down to the individual user. Don't click on links you don't know. Well, and Discord doesn't manage servers or manage communities. Discord purely provides software. And I would hazard a bet that a bunch of those servers are managed by, you know, part-time admins. What do you think, Miguel? Well, I think that it all comes down, resuming uh, on what you guys said, it all comes down to being a little bit tech savvy, and I'm not saying super savvy or super aware, but I, I agree with you. Uh, everybody should be aware of the links they are clicking, regardless of where they're coming from, whether it's an email, which is phishing usually, uh, whether it's Discord, Slack, I think the, the methods and the tools might change, but at the end of the day, people should be very careful with the with the links they click and who they came from. I think that it all comes down to that.
I've, I've heard of some promising technology where there's at least one new browser company that runs the entire browser in a container. And I think that's the direction we should head. I think that every tab in a browser should be its own container and nothing should be able to get out unless you explicitly are providing permission and it probably should go through a series of scans. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, you know, I don't believe that technology can solve uh, really any of our security problems. I, I think that we need better people and people making decisions. But this is one case where, you know, a drive-by download of an infected PDF could very easily be handled by providing a, a safe sandbox for the browser. Definitely, we could lessen the risk. We could mitigate that, but uh, but that sounds like a good idea. You mean like a like a virtual machine or a Docker container for yeah. each app? That would be great because that would be encapsulated. And and that's what we do. So we, you know, my my job and Miguel's job is to go into the darknet and click every link we see. And that's the opposite of what all normal people should do, but we, we do it within a container and safe. Uh, but uh, not, no one else has really that level of technology, right? Um, and so it would be good to have another tool given to every employee. Um, so part of this is better employee education, right? Like, don't click on links. The other part is uh, we, we really should be using containers for browsers. May I agree. I didn't know those things existed. Uh, okay. Moving on to our last topic of the day. All right. Story number five presented by Divya. We're past the last so <laughs> we'll want. So if you go to Zoom. Okay, I am. <laughs> This is a symbolic handoff. <laughs> yep. So there it is. Okay. So which this this last story is um, IBM and uh, I believe Deloitte or ISSA got together and they've uh, discussed that studies are showing that cybersecurity skills gap is widening at the cost of breaches rises. Um, what the story uh, entails is that the cyber cybersecurity skills crisis is going uh, on a downward trend and it's impacting over 57% of large organizations. At the same time, companies are incurring steep costs from data breaches, with breaches costing companies an average of 4.24 million per incident, which is nearly a 10% increase over 2020. So. I think this has kind of two causes, um, and this is partially from speaking to customers and just partially from experience. The first is when it comes to cybersecurity skills, you know, people are listing, you know, 20 years experience with tools that have only existed for like seven years. And so I think that company, That's how you get a job. I think that company expectations are, are out of line with smart, uh, in, intelligent, eager people who could pick up the, skill, the, the skills with on-job experience, um, but really are not necessarily being, being given a chance. 
And, you know, kind of from our company perspective, I think that there's uh, an over-reliance on infrastructure to secure the company rather than uh, on people. I think a lot of the data uh, is trending away from regular employees towards specialists. It's difficult to hire specialists and companies think that the, the stuff that they've invested in infrastructure wise is enough to secure them from breaches. Uh, whereas even just a little bit of, of education or training or intelligence moving its way to the general population of employees would make a big difference. Yeah, the, the skill gap is bad and it's only gonna get worse. And I think that we have to radically reconsider what is the job of the security team. And when you think of the evolution of, of IT, right? Uh, it used to be that you had an IT team and people would call you in and you're like, I don't know how to open a PDF. Uh, and so the IT team teaches you how to double click, right? So we solved the IT problem by teaching more people how to do basics. And if you think of security, a lot of employees don't know how to do the basics, right? Like the average employee has trouble resetting a password. So I think the, the most common sense solution is to make more of the team actually uh, be able to solve their own problems. So accounting should be able to reset passwords. And I, I, I think accounting should be able to turn on their own multi-factor without help, right? So self-service for security is the best way to close the skill gap because then you need fewer cyber resources they say the skill gap is gonna get up to half a million uh, unfilled uh, job recs within the next like 10 years here, just in the US. So if we need half a million cybersecurity workers, you're not gonna be able to educate your way into doing that. So you need to have fewer of those workers. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I think it goes, it, that ties actually back to what Mike said about uh, specialists and generalists here. So many of our breaches that we talk about are things like uh, unsecured S3 instance or an open API here. Um, we're talking about skill sets that are very, very general. Uh, you need DevOps experience, you need DBA experience, you need software engineering experience, <clears throat> but how much of that can, you, can one person have here? Cyber cybersecurity attacks are very, very sophisticated. So you do need a specialist for, uh, you need a specialist that knows what their application they wrote is doing, where are the security holes in that. And a, networks, a, a network engineer is not going to know exactly what the security holes are in a application that someone else in some other department wrote. So, um, to your point, Steve, yeah, you need to involve everyone and need everyone's really deep skill sets in the in the in the picture and, and the conversation. But you should have the right people incentivized to have a complex server password, even if it's a pain in the ass to type in every time. True. Yeah. Yeah. One problem I think we have, and Miguel, I, I want to get your take on it, is that cyber crime is currently far more lucrative than cybersecurity. And I think that if, if we had all the people engaged in cybercrime in Soviet bloc countries actually engaged in cybersecurity, 
that we would solve a lot of these problems. Um, you know, Miguel, from, from sort of an incentive standpoint, when you see a lot of hackers that are engaged in ransomware, you know, do you think it's because they just make way more money doing that? Oh, you're muted. Miguel, you're muted. Are you muted? Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I was we, muted. We thought you were thinking <laughs> more about to fall over. No, <laughs> I was, I was I just mimicking. I was like, oh, Some, it sounds Miguel. <laughs> somebody else was speaking, and I was just doing the mimic. Uh, I was like, I this was, is Spanish. I don't understand. Yeah. This, my whole life is a lie. I don't understand Spanish. <laughs> you're not that, as fluent as you believe. <laughs> yeah, I'm not as good as I thought I was. So. I guess to your point, Steve, uh, that makes sense, but that could also be applied to any criminal activity because those are usually far more lucrative than the legal and regulated activities. So I don't think cybercrime would be the exception, but I, I do want to point out that sometimes with, with the cybersecurity and, and uh, in line with what you said on what Mike and Shu also said, uh, there's a problem because some companies tend to believe that the answer to cybersecurity problems or to security problems would be, I don't know, getting more tools, getting more firewalls. And in my head, it's like presenting somebody with a surgical room and not having a doctor to be able to, to work on that place. I mean, you can have all the tools, but you need people that are actually skilled to do that. Or the surgery room, it's a little bit too extreme, but let's think about a mechanical shop. I mean, you can have all the best tools that are available, but if you don't have a guy that knows actually how to, uh, how to dismantle and then put back together an engine, yeah, all the tools are not going to really work. I mean- Well, well I, I think incentives play into it though. Let's say that you've got a guy that's really good at car engines, but he makes more money as a chop shop than actually repairing cars, right? Yes. I think it's all about incentives. So think about digital piracy. Digital piracy used to be a big industry problem before streaming, right? Because it used to be, I buy this movie for 30 bucks or I download it for free. But then streaming came along and streaming said, you can have access to tens of thousands of movies for $5 a month. And piracy went, went way down. Because, because piracy became a pain <clears throat> in the ass. No, it's, it's because for $5 a month, you can either engage in highly illegal activities or you can get it for $5 a month. The incentive went down. So everyone's doing uh, an analysis of, of like, how much am I actually getting? Cyber crime, you can make tens of millions of dollars each year mm -hmm. cybersecurity you can maybe make a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars a year right yeah and yeah and it's so i my my premise is that as long as you can make many times more money committing crimes and get away with it again in, in a lot of soviet bloc countries these are unenforced laws then people are going to go in, into the crime section and that's that's going to attribute to the skill gap. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's pretty much like being a police or a drug dealer. I mean, it's 
way more lucrative to to be a drug dealer than to be a policeman. Yeah. So that's going to happen with with the cyber world also the way I see it. I, I think you're right. I mean, yeah. but, if but it is, changed, sorry, go ahead. That changed in Colorado and Washington once lead once once weed became legal, right? Yeah. Yes. But then then the number of drug dealers plummeted because they they can't make as much money, right? So yeah. unless you're selling meth or fentanyl um you're you, you know you're like oh well, well for 20 bucks an hour i can go work for amazon yeah i think i think we can all agree that the higher the risk the higher the reward well but we can also say that the number one difference as steve alluded to is that there are certain chinese and soviet bloc countries where if the target is primarily or predominantly english speaking then people turn their face away and those are those are not necessarily enforced laws which means you get to do a lot of stuff that's way cooler that you maybe enjoy more and you get to build a, a skill set whereas here even if you know who hacked you and when and what happened if you hack them back you may get a call from the fbi <laughs> and so there, there, there's a total disparity in the amount of regulation and so i'm i'm totally not surprised yeah that there's a reason that ransomware gangs are uh, looking to make uh, at least a billion dollars in ransoms this year. So they operate. Oh, that's yeah. that's a very big number. Yeah, um, this this article did address the security, uh, the uh, the salary issue, and and y'all are right. Uh, even if you do increase pay, it's going to be a small amount to what you can get as a cyber criminal. So um this is not all these issues that we we brought up are not um zero and one binary decisions for for a person to get into it's a gradient and you're going to decrease that risk if you increase salary but that's a huge range right now from legitimate employee to cyber crimes yeah well, well I, oh go ahead Miguel. no sorry even if you're a rock star security guy like some i don't know from the top of my head like a russian guy could be um even if you are at the top of your game uh you're not gonna make as much money as you will make with ransomware sure, but, no imagine, way. but imagine if you and the rule here was the same as the rule there which was if you hack somebody and we can prove that they had a chinese or soviet ip that we're not going to come after you it's just like I don't know practice <laughs> well that that would be fair because the same rule would apply to everybody but if you have different set of rules applying to different countries that's not fair that's situation where i i think i think all of this is driven by incentives if if you were paid a bounty equal to the amount that you would be paid from ransomware right uh and and bug bounties are a great uh yeah apple does that right Bug bounties yep. have significantly cut down on the number of bugs that are out there in the wild. If you were paid a bounty for, and, and this is a bad idea, but if you're paid a bounty for successfully breaking into a company and you could prove it and they paid you the same amount as you would get paid with ransomware, you just received it legally, then you solve this problem. If you give an economic incentive to change behavior, the market will always adjust to it. And you know, you're going to start seeing startups. If if you got a million dollar bounty for for uh, successfully breaking into any DoD contractor, 
right? Then you're going to see startups that specialize in that and do it all day, right? We, we have the talent. They're just not incentivized to work on the problem. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. Yeah. We've come a long ways in terms of, uh, of ethical reporting and, blood, and, and bug bounties, but are still, there are still a lot of cases where uh, people are not paid the fair market value for bugs they find. Yep. But there's still a lot of cases where people are selling bugs in the black market for more as yep. well. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, that yeah. if, if you don't pay out a proper bounty, don't be surprised if people sell that bounty on XSS. And we see it all day. But uh, again, just easily, think about the number of bug bounties that are being collected from those same countries versus the number of bug bounties that are being collected in like Idaho. And that, and that doesn't mean that Idaho has less talent. That means that they're maybe a little bit more timid or a little bit more shy about the authorities and, and, and the condition of that research. I, I mean, we, we paid out a bounty. Some, someone against our will and without our permission decided to do a pen test on us and they found some bugs. And a lot of the bugs were uh, not really bugs, but there were a few things in there that, that we needed to fix. And we, we actually paid out, you know, we, we didn't pay out a lot, uh, but we wanted to reward good behavior, uh, mostly good behavior, right? They, they disclosed it rather than exploiting it. Um, and so we, we paid out a bounty. So um, I, I think that that's how companies should work. And if, you know, if all of these companies that are getting hacked and hit with ransomware actually paid out bounties for those vulnerability disclosures, we wouldn't be in this. And, and just to return to like a point that we make on the show a lot, an exploit is an exploit. Ransomware is an economic model, right? So the exploits will always exist. The mistakes will always exist. The way that the economics and the way that the model works can change. So, so Mike, to, to your point regarding jurisdiction here, if I'm a, if I'm a, if, if I'm a researcher, I find a bug, I go to Facebook and Facebook says, great, it's $5,000, we'll pay you. And I know I could get like, you know, a hundred times that amount on the dark web. Why would I care whether or not I'm in Idaho or? Well, I'm going to make the point and drop the mic and that's going to be the end of the Imagine instead of Facebook, that it's a Russian oil and gas company. Right, and you can see, and you can see the exploit. The point is that the American FBI is the first line of defense because if they catch you doing that, they're going to put you in jail. Whereas if it's an American oil and gas company and you find the exploit, but you live in Kiev, the KGB is not going to come knock on your door. I, yeah, I, I get, I get the whole sentiment. I actually, I don't think bugs are protected, so I think you can sell them legally to sketchy people because that was the whole business model for that that Italian company that was selling zero days to like every intelligence organization worldwide like yeah they had like a bad reputation when they themselves got hacked what do they call it hack team i think they're called hack team right yeah yeah, it's a stupid fucking name. <laughs> Not uh, us, by the way. But totally different. <laughs> <than> <laughs> us. But, but, but but actually, selling bugs is perfectly legal. But you know, more along the lines of ransomware and vulnerability testing against their will. That's that's when it gets into super illegal territory. And yeah, to Mike's point, I can't hack the Russian government, even if I know how to. 
because the FBI is going to yeah. get upset with me and then I'm going to meet the wrong end of some Novichok. And in, diplo in diplomatic terms, I would call that an own goal. And that, 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 that's the part that has me scratching my head. But I agree that if Russian oil and gas companies were willing to pay bug bounties, that, that we could foster international cooperation and have a much better model. But the FBI so, definitely does so, a job stopping hackers here. So, you know, a hypothetical question here. Uh, if here we are in uh, almost August 2021, if an American hacker went into a, uh, a Russian, Russian oil and gas company, would really the FBI care? Yes. How much would the FBI care? Yes, the FBI has come down on what I would call semi-legitimate uh, actors here, notwithstanding like totally illegitimate actors here, definitely. Yes, the, there was famously a uh, cybersecurity reporter that was reporting on the Stratfor data breach and shared a link to the Stratfor data that was publicly posted and he got his ass thrown in jail. I think that was a DOJ action, not the FBI, but, but still. Like, Same shit. The, the federal government has, has hit US-based people very hard um, for doing things that are tame considering what's going on in Soviet bloc today. Well, up until, no. okay, up until 1992, Olympic basketball was played with professionals from every other country that's played with college students from the U.S. And I think we all know what happened once, <laughs> once the regulation got out of the way. It's, and it's the same thing right here. How is the U.S. basketball doing in Tokyo right now? I haven't been paying, paying attention. I'm super great. Oh, no. Not great but uh old strategy cop <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well i think that's it final final parting words shoot miguel you want a one last shot at the cold open uh well again thank you for everything nikki and i'm i'm really sorry that you're leaving hopefully we can get together at some point houston buenos aires whatever and share some drinks he's gonna get sappy with it <laughs> Of course, man. I look forward to it. Uh, final goodbye to Nikki. Thank you for all that you've done to make this video series a thing. And this has been an episode of Bourbon and Data Breaches. If you like what you saw today, please like, comment, and subscribe. If you hated everything you saw today, please also like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> Uh, if you have a bourbon or a breach you'd like us to try, or evidently a beer, because we're doing beer now, uh, you can let us know at contact at hacknose.com. Uh, until next time.